Good morning again. So glad you've joined us. Let me pray. May God's word be spoken. May God's word be heard. And may God's word be lived. Amen. Have you ever wondered how great people are produced? Are they simply born great, or do the stars nicely align in their favor? Malcolm Gladwell, in his book, uh, The Outliers, argues that what distinguishes the average person from somebody great is 10,000 hours of practice. And while the nature versus nurture debate will continue to rage, the question remains, what was it that turned a codependent womanizer into one of the greatest intellects in the Western world, Augustine of Hippo? What was it that took an abused young woman with a brain injury, born into slavery, and turned her into a bold and courageous abolitionist and suffragette, Harriet Tubman? Was it 10,000 hours of practice? Did they watch baby Einstein videos when they were small? If you were with us last week, we looked at what a great leader Joshua was, but that the true and better Joshua, Jesus, is the one who can make us strong and courageous. And this morning, Jesus gives us an answer to the question, what was it that happened to these people and countless others to make them who they are, still deeply flawed, but somehow changed? The simple answer, according to Jesus, is that they were born again. Now, I may have just lost you because the phrase born again is damaged in our culture. It's a phrase that divides the Christian world and uh, frightens the rest of it. And for many, it's associated with a, a cultic and fringe kind of religious in intensity. Born again rolls quickly off your tongue into the word fundamentalist, which is just a hop, skip, and a jump away from homophobic, climate change denier, QAnon, and, and the list goes on. But we value intellectual honesty here at St. Paul's, and we can't ignore that three times in this passage from the writer John, Jesus says, you must be born again. And so we're going to unpack why Jesus is so unequivocal about this and what it means for our contemporary lives. You see, this new life that Jesus describes can be like spiritual dynamite for us, a force used in our lives against all our problems, personal and societal. So mindful of the cultural baggage, Let's unpack two things about this birth. One, why? Why does it need to take place for everyone? And then two, what will its impact be? For some, uh, this is brand new. Maybe you're joining us for the first time, and so you're just interested in the basics. While for others of us, this new birth, it's been lying dormant in our lives, just waiting to be released. So regardless of where you find yourself, let's look at the why and the what of this new birth. And if you want to keep John chapter 3 open, either on your phone or open up your Bible, uh, that would be great. 
Why? Why is Jesus so directive about this? Let's look at the encounter that John records for us, our opening verse. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night. Nicodemus was a sophisticated scholar, a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court, and he would have had tremendous social and political power while also leading a deeply ethical life. He was also clearly open-minded and teachable because he wants to hear what Jesus, a small-town rabbi with no formal education, he wants to hear what Jesus has to say. Nicodemus is a tenured law professor at U of T, while also serving as a Supreme Court justice. He lives in Rosedale and yet quietly volunteers on Friday night at the local food bank. His marriage is intact and his adult kids don't hate him. Here is a man who has it all. And yet to him, without hesitation, verse 7, do not be astonished. I can see the look on your face, Nicodemus. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born again. If you read the Bible, uh, you'll find Jesus often interacting with people who have very uh, broken lives. Uh, A woman caught in adultery a corrupt government official, a grieving father, a a desperate leper. Yet, Jesus picks this man, who has it all, to drop the bomb. You must be born again. If a man as upstanding and faithful as Nicodemus must be born again, then this is a message for everyone tuning in today, with me at the front of the line. I did terribly in French in high school, and I can just remember grinding my way through L'Etranger by Albert Camus in grade 12. And a few years ago, I came across an account of a series of conversations between this famous French existentialist that he had with a Methodist minister named Howard Mama. Mama was serving an American church in Paris in the 1950s, And one Sunday, he noticed in the back of the church a man in a dark suit, surrounded by admirers. And eventually, the two of them developed a close relationship. There had always been rumors that Camus had been drawn to the Christian faith, but had never converted. Camus knew the Bible well, and out of all of his characters, the one he was most drawn to was Nicodemus. And one day, Albert Camus asked Howard Mama, what does it mean to be born again? And Mama replied, to me, to be born again is to enter anew or afresh into the process of spiritual growth, and this can only begin with receiving forgiveness. Mama later noted in his diary that at that moment, Camus looked at him with tears in his eyes and said, Howard, I'm ready. I want this. This is what I want to commit my life to. Days later, Camus died in a car accident. You must be born again, says Jesus. It's an offer Camus found compelling because it's a promise that there is more and deeper life ahead. Why? Because we need a new heart. We need a new start to our lives. 
You may have noticed in verse 2 that Nicodemus calls Jesus rabbi, teacher. And Nicodemus isn't wrong here. Jesus was an incredible teacher. And every leader of a world religion came primarily as a teacher, but not Jesus. Jesus did not come primarily to teach us. The problems in my life can't simply be taught away. I have a lot of education. We can't simply read enough parenting guides or business management tomes or books on how to be my best self ever. It's not a matter of 10,000 hours of practice. We cannot be reformed. We must be transformed, born again. We need a new heart. It's not a matter of simply trying to obey some new rules or set new goals. Because behavioral compliance to such rules or goals, without our hearts and our wills being transformed, it, it won't work. It'll be superficial. It'll be fleeting. Just look at how Torontonians have responded to the rules in lockdown. So, this new birth is for everyone. That's the basics. Now the what. What takes place, and most practically, what will the results of this spiritual dynamite be like in our daily lives? Dynamite that for most of us who are already part of a Christian community is so often lying dormant and unused. We have made huge strides in the last few decades with reproductive technology, but we still cannot give birth to ourselves. Giving birth is one of the few things that must be given to us, which is why it was such a potent image that Jesus used with Nicodemus that late night. To be physically born is pure miracle and gift. To be spiritually born again is equally a pure gift from God through the power of the Holy Spirit. That same year when grade 12 French was killing me, an acerbic but perceptive teacher said to me, you know, Jenny, God didn't put you here just to consume oxygen. I don't think this was meant as a deeply theological statement, but rather an adult observation of an apathetic 17-year-old. But he was on to something, something to do with new birth. Human beings inhale oxygen and we exhale carbon dioxide. You must be born again, says Jesus. Verse 5. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. The water that Jesus speaks of here is the water of baptism, that powerful and outward symbol of cleansing and new life, of exhaling carbon dioxide. And as we exhale, we can inhale the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, inviting God to come and live in our lives for the first time or in a renewed way, to come into our lives and take up residence. This is the what that takes place with this new birth, exhaling sin and inhaling the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is a great house guest, always bringing just the gifts we need. This is not the husband who gives his wife a lawnmower 
or the CEO who gives the senior staff from good to great. The Spirit of Jesus brings us just the gifts we need. Forgiveness and hope, all wrapped up in a new heart. In the midst of the darkness of that Jerusalem night, Jesus saw that Nicodemus, with all his education and personal comfort, was still yearning for newness of life. This new birth, exhaling of sin and inhaling the spirit of Jesus is a pure gift. It is pure grace, something we haven't earned. It is grace because the cost was borne by the giver. Verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. John here is referencing when the Israelites were slowly making their way through the desert to the promised land. No vaccines of any kind. And God gifted Moses with the ability to lift a bronze snake up on a pole that people could gaze on it and be healed, which many scholars believe was the foundational story behind the Greek god of healing, Asclepius, whose symbol is a snake on the pole, uh, in turn giving rise to the international symbol of medicine. This transformative moment in the wilderness, Jesus said 1,500 years ago, was foreshadowing my impending death on the cross. I will be lifted up on a wooden cross, and my death will bring healing and life to the world. Through this death, new life can be gifted to us, and for the first time or in a renewed way, this grace of God, this gift of new life, can flow into our lives and release some spiritual dynamite. Let's end by looking at two examples of how this spiritual dynamite can work, one personal and one societal. Personal. I want you to think uh, of an important relationship in your life. Uh, maybe you're single or dating and uh, you have a dear friend or a work colleague or you're married or at least trying to stay married and you argue. It's the daily small stuff. Lockdown is tough and Zoom hell is still with us. Or you're trapped in a, a pattern of, of bitterness and recriminations in this relationship. Well, God's grace can help us here because grace transforms our hearts. Remembering that someone who had it as together as Nicodemus still needed to be born again. It knocks us down a peg of two, chipping away at our arrogance and making it easier for us to realize that we might be the one in the wrong. And God's grace shaping your heart means you don't have to win every argument. You, you don't need to have the last word because you're confident that God just delights in you. So you can let some things go and give love to the other person. It takes time though. Sin works fast, but grace works slow. We can hurt the ones we love so quickly and so easily. Sin works fast, but grace works slow. But as our hearts are slowly being transformed by God's grace, 
we become more willing to admit our own mistakes and trusting in God's love for us, our closest relationships can be healed. They can flourish. God's grace also changes communities of people, impacting society. This past summer, the world was rocked by the public murder of George Floyd. And here in Canada, the number of murdered and missing Indigenous women continues to rise. How does God's grace dismantle the sin of racism in a community? Richard Lovelace, an American academic, wrote in his book, The Dynamics of the Spiritual Life, that if you try to rely on your own achievements or relationships, I'm a member of the Jewish Supreme Court, for your sense of significance in life, then you will always be radically insecure because deep down you know you could lose those relationships. You know you could lose those achievements. They could be tainted. That insecurity, he argues, will manifest itself in, in a variety of ways, right? Depending on your personality. Maybe it's going to be arrogance or pride. It might be self-hatred. It might be uh, loathing or shame. But there is one common and toxic fruit that gets born out of this insecurity. Racism. Racism becomes an armor, if you will, against our self-doubt and our lack of hope. Now, racism is not just something that infects other people's lives. It's a particularly pernicious manifestation of something in every human heart, of our desire to live our lives without God, to build our hope and purpose on our own steam. It's simply one attempt to build ourselves up, at least I'm not like those people, apart from the love and mercy we find in Jesus. Tim Keller, the New York writer, puts it like this. Without a deep grasp of our need for God's grace, we will secretly, or not so secretly, despise people of races and cultures or politics different from our own as a way to patch up a righteousness of our own. But as we remember and name that we are all equally in need of forgiveness and that God is a scandalous lover, taking joy and delight in all people, then the racism in our hearts gets chipped away at. The cure for the sin of racism is the same cure for every problem, receiving God's grace in a new birth. St. Paul's is located physically in the heart of this global city. Our community spread out right now on couches across Toronto and around the world. We can be a working model of what it looks like for a diverse group of people to acknowledge their sin, which includes the sin of racism and painful broken relationships to want to exhale that carbon dioxide and inhale the spirit of Jesus. In a few minutes, Karen is going to lead us in a corporate opportunity to exhale. If, like Nicodemus, you're spiritually searching and you want this new heart, then do join in that prayer. God will honor it. And if you've been a member of the Christian community for years, then in the remaining 28 days of Lent, 
I want you to intentionally remember your baptism, that foundational symbol of receiving the new birth, the new heart. Each time you wash your hands or have a shower, give thanks for your baptism and ask God to continue the slow work of grace in your heart. God will honor that. Thanks be to God. Amen.